Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. You might also uh, find Exodus 17 and maybe put your bulletin in there. That'll make it a little bit easier in a minute. We need to look at an episode from the Old Testament along with this New Testament instruction for us today. My sister has a small hole in her heart uh, that was diagnosed when she was young. And being smart, like most little kids are, she managed to use this to her advantage on at least one occasion when she was about to be disciplined by saying, Remember my tender heart. No wonder I got all the wax, huh? I think I got hers and mine both. I wonder what kind of heart you have. A hard heart or a soft heart or a medium heart? Do you give money to the homeless folk on the street corner holding their sign? Or do you shout, get a job? Do you listen politely to the whole spiel of the telemarketers? Or do you wait for them to breathe and say, thank you and hang it up? Do you send a check to the organization that sends you the free return address labels? Or do you quickly throw away the return envelope so you can't possibly? Do you always buy candy from whoever is sitting in front of Hagen's? Or do you walk the other way and look like you don't see them? (laughs) Well, you might be a bleeding heart liberal or a stone-faced conservative, but the important test of your heart is the spiritual one. And in Hebrews 3, God is going to warn us about having a hard heart. The book of Hebrews warns us many times, and this is one of the important warnings. Follow as I read from Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and I said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Wow. That's kind of a heavy piece of scripture, isn't it? God loves us, But God is concerned for what's right. And so he tells us the whole truth. The thing we need to understand, first of all, is this. A hard heart begins with a difficult circumstance. You notice here in in Hebrews 7, he speaks of the day of trial. Turn with me back now to Exodus 17, and let's read about the day of trial. 
Now there are a couple of specific episodes that God could have had in mind when he talks about this day of trial. Certainly in Hebrews 7, as he looks back over the generations, he makes reference to 40 years and a whole generation. We're going to look at the beginning, if you will, day of trial and the beginning of hard hearts. There were other episodes, but we're going to look at this one, and I think it's a great example. Exodus 17, verse 1. They, they've left Egypt. They're out in the wilderness. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. And that's not a reference to they were all sinning. It, it's a name of a place. And it's not named because bad things happened there. It's a Hebrew word. They left, they were in the journey in the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and they camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, if you got somewhere between one and two million people and their cattle and their whatever animals they had and there's no water and you're in the wilderness, that's a real difficulty. We need not minimize that. It's a real difficulty. Verse 2. Here's what the people did. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Look at verse 7. So Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now what you need to realize here, folks, is this spiritual disaster started with a genuine trial. Any of you been through any difficulty this week? Maybe I should ask if any of you had a 100% smooth week this week. No aches, no pains, no unexpected bills. No children calling home going, uh, no mun, no fun, Dad. No bad grades at school, even though you did your best work. No, we all have difficulties, and we have them every week. This was a little bigger difficulty. Some of you might have encountered a little bigger difficulty this week, or maybe the week before. They had real difficulty. James chapter 1 calls these situations trials. At Rephidim, at this particular place, the Israelites had no water. At a place called Marah, they murmured because the water was bitter. In the wilderness of sin, later on, they had no bread. They always had one thing or another to complain about. And do you see in verse 4 how intense their complaints got? Moses said, they are almost ready to stone me. Now remember something. Keep this in mind. This was a legitimate difficulty. They did not do something wrong. You know, you and I, we sin and then we get into a bind. 
But they didn't do that. They were, in fact, obeying God. God said, I'm going to take all you people out of here and take you to Israel. And they go, yeah! And they, they went through the Passover. They put the blood on the doorpost. They believed God. And they came across the Red Sea. And now there's no water. This was a legitimate difficulty, not of their causing. The author of Hebrews, under God's inspiration, says, folks, watch out when trials come because a hard heart is right around the corner. When difficulty comes and you put the blame on God and pull away, you are starting down the path of a hard heart. How is the hard heart formed? Let's go back to Hebrews I believe God tells us how a hard spiritual heart is formed. First of all, a hard heart is formed by a foolish focus. In Hebrews, God tells us, they saw my works for 40 years. Now, we just went through the story again, now, but think about this in a little different light now. What started the whole process of the exodus? Well, it started with God saying, Moses, go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't listen, so Moses performed the ten miracles we call the plagues. And they were some pretty nasty business. And eventually, the tenth of those plagues, the tenth of those miracles, was the death of the firstborn among man and beast in all of Egypt, except where the children of Israel were in their homes with the blood on the doorpost, covered by the blood, and when the death angel came, he passed over those people who were covered by the blood, and he smote the firstborn of, of man and beast throughout Egypt. Now, think about going through that. Get that in your mind. You know, if I said to you today, God's going to judge everybody who's not in church at 6 o'clock, this place would be packed out. Maybe. And let's say it really happened. And we're all in here, we're looking outside, crash! You know, the car crashed. We're looking at all this stuff going on. Do you think on Monday morning you'd be living for God? You'd think so. But not these people. They saw God's works. They saw that death of the firstborn. When they came out of their house the day after that, do you suppose they were looking around going, whoa. And that wasn't all. Once that happened, what did God do? There's a little miracle we don't remember. The Egyptian people said to the Israelites, Get out of here, and here's gold to take with you. Where did all that gold come from that they built the tabernacle with? It came from all the Egyptians going, Here, please go. Because they wanted them to take their God and all these plagues away from Egypt. So they went out with their pockets full, and then they go out to the Red Sea, and they're going, Oh! And Moses goes, don't worry, you know, and he stands there like Charlton Heston and the waters part. <laughs> I don't know which one's older, Charlton Heston or Moses. <laughs> the waters part. And, and as if that wasn't a big enough miracle, they walked through on what? Dry ground. And they got to the other side, and they looked back, and Moses put his hands down, and the water came together and killed all of Pharaoh and his army. And then there's the, the, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day guiding them along. All of that. Now you think on Monday morning they'd be living for the Lord. 
Nope. The first difficulty that comes up is we're out of water. Moses, you expletive deleted. We're going to kill you for bringing us out here in the desert. They were, they were ready to stone him. Have you ever been so upset about a difficulty in your life you're ready to reach out and touch somebody? Maybe God. And did you notice there in Exodus 17, 7, the real point when it, when it says... Uh, is the Lord among us or not? How can you not know the Lord's among you when he's done all that stuff in the last few days or weeks? You know how you can? By looking at the difficulty, not looking at God. I guarantee you tomorrow, folks, today, if you come into a difficulty and you focus on the difficulty hard enough, you will get completely bent out of spiritual shape. But if you will put your focus on God, what if those people had said, well, hey, you know, we were really up against it there in Egypt and God brought us out of Egypt and we were really up against it there with the Red Sea. God took us through the Red Sea. I think this is going to work out. Nope. All they saw was the difficulty. It's a foolish focus. One author said this, in spite of God's unmistakable presence among them, they frequently acted as if they had been abandoned and they demanded continuing proof of God's leading. Such testing of God is a demonstration of unbelief. For it says in effect, God, we don't believe your promises to provide for us and we demand new evidence. Why do you suppose that Philippians 4, 6 says this? When you have anxiety, take all of your concerns to God with what? With thanksgiving. Why is that thanksgiving part so important? Because it gets our focus off of the current dilemma and we look back and say, wow, look how far God brought me. Look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. Well, maybe God can do this after all. If you focus on the difficulty, you will collapse and your heart will become hardened. Secondly, a, hardened, a hard heart is formed by lack of belief in God. Turn with me to Numbers 14. In Numbers 14, we have another episode where the children of Israel failed to believe God. Warren Wiersbe, writing on this text, said this, The heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. <laughs> that is so simple, it's profound. A, heart, a hard heart is formed by the lack of belief in God. He says here in Hebrews, they went astray in their heart. Their inner man, their inner person, they went astray. Numbers 14. This is when, uh, uh, this is the episode where they've, they've come through this 40 years of wandering, excuse me, this is, not, this is the beginning of the 40 years. They've sent out spies into the promised land to see if they can take it. And the spies have come back. And uh, starting in verse, chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. 
Remember something here, folks. There wasn't a soldier among them. Now, if we had to go to war today, some of you have been soldiers. Some of you are soldiers now. You might have some idea about how to organize us for battle. There wasn't a soldier among them. Remember, they were slaves. Verse 30 again, Caleb quieted the people. He said, let us go up. We can do this. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Chapter 14, so all the congregation, all the multitude lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. Do you understand what's going on? They sent out these 12 spies, which they shouldn't have done anyway. They should have just marched right up there and said, excuse us, God wants us to live here, and God would have delivered them. But they sent the spies up, and the spies came back. And, oh, you know, 10 of them said, we can't do it. Two of them said, yes, Joshua and Caleb. All night long, they cried and wept. Oh, I just, no, no, we're going to die now. Oh, we can't make it. Oh, I... I heard it was such a great place. It was going to be so wonderful. Oh, now we're just going to be living in the desert. Oh, on and on and on on. Would you like some cheese with that wine? They cried all night long. They Again, why can't they think, if God killed Pharaoh's army, can't he do it to theirs? Verse 2. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of Israel and the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. You know, this is the original cheerleading. We're going to eat them up. We're going to eat them up. It's, you know, he says, they're our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. You know, this is a place where an inspirational speech was given, and it did not work. Stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs I have performed from them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. These people just flat did not believe God could do it. We are not able. In Numbers 14, 22, God says, they have tested me these 10 times. God was keeping score. Folks, 
what does God ask you to believe that's really hard? What has God told you in his word that's clear and plain but hard? God told these people, hey, you're going to the promised land. It's going to be a great thing. I'm going to make it happen. They said, nope, I don't think so. What has God told you that's hard? Maybe you're a young person, and God has told you, keep yourself sexually pure until marriage. And you go, oh, man, that's so hard. Yeah, it's tough. You'll fight the battle until your wedding night if, if you choose to fight. Last month, God challenged you in regard to your wallet and in regard to your participation in the church. And maybe you sat here and said, oh, God, I, I just can't part with this. My time and my money is too precious. What has God told you to do that's hard? It's a difficulty. It's a challenge. What situation has God brought you into? James chapter 1 says, count it all joy when you fall into these very difficult situations, knowing that God is at work. God has allowed the difficulty in your life. The question is, do you believe he's going to work through it? Hey, you know what? If you don't believe he's going to work through it, you don't believe in God. You say, oh, oh God, you know, I want to believe over here this, this part about salvation. Oh, oh yeah, I want to go to heaven when I die. But God, between the time when I accepted you and the time when I get to heaven, I'm just going to take care of things. And that's what we do. That's how we live. In my Sunday school class, we, we had some scripture assigned to read during the week and work on it. One of the, one of the people said what they learned was you've got to believe in God 100%. If I asked you to hold up the Olympic scorecard this morning, what percent would be on your belief? A hard heart is formed by a foolish focus and a lack of belief in God. Thirdly, a hard heart is formed by sinful actions. Back in Hebrews, he, he refers to the deceitfulness of sin. Later in this, in some verses that we didn't read a little bit later, and we're going to consider them more next week, he talks about the deceitfulness of sin. These people sinned, and it had an impact. What is the impact of sin in the believer's life? The impact of sin is that if you allow sin to stay, then you're not walking with the Lord, and the next action you take is going to be sinful. The next thought you have, the next belief you have. Living for God is a 100% deal. You say, oh, Dave, I can't do it 100%. Yes, you can. You know what it means to live 100% for the Lord? That means that when you sin, you confess it right then. And between that time and the next time you are tempted and give in, you're living 100% for the Lord. And by God's grace, maybe those times can get longer to where you might go a whole day. Hey, you know how I know that? Because I live it too. If you let sin stay, your heart will get hard. 
I recently read, uh, just in the last week or two, a study has come out where they've been keeping track and something like 1,500 people in a year in our country go away from surgery with something they didn't come with. And I'm not talking about a transplanted heart. I'm talking about something that was used to work on them. You know what the scariest part was? It says a lot of these things come out on their own. I don't even want to know about that. <laughs> hey, if you woke up from surgery with this long, skinny lump right here, you'd go, get that out of me! Right? You wouldn't say, well, you know, when I bend this way, it kind of hurts, but if I stay straight, it's okay, so I think it'll be okay. Well, that's just silly. It's just as silly as a Christian who says, I got this one sin, you know, and it really hurts over here, but if I just kind of turn my head and ignore it, I think it'll be okay. It won't. It won't. Because every sin you let stay makes your hard heart. What's the result of a hard heart? And that's what Hebrews 3 really, I mean, Hebrews 3 is warning us, don't get a hard heart, but he's saying, listen, you want to know what happened to the people of Israel? We need to hear this about God. Everybody wants to talk about God is love, and God is love, but look at Hebrews 3, verse 10. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And I said they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. This needs to balance our concept of God a little bit, folks. Yesterday morning when I heading down the road, I turned the radio on and I thought, what in the world are they talking about? And they kept talking and talking about it and found out that seven folks woke up in eternity yesterday morning who weren't planning on it. I admire our president for having the courage to stand up and say, I forget what he said, the creator who, yeah, the creator who made the stars knew about them and so on. He didn't preach them into heaven, and I appreciate that, but he didn't preach them into hell either, which isn't his business or mine. I don't know whether they're in heaven or hell. Do you know what I know? I know they didn't expect to enter eternity yesterday morning. And if you've been dogging around on God, I just want to tell you today, it might be your name in the paper tomorrow. I've started reading the obituary since I moved here. I've never read the obituaries in my life. And that's because I know people in the county. And I've found people, people and relatives of people that I knew there. I went, oh, wow, you know. Some real heartbreaking, some otherwise. Last week there was a time when there was a 14-year-old, a 50-year-old, and an 80-year-old. All side by side in the paper. All, all went into eternity. The people in the Old Testament did not lose their salvation because of their sin. Do you know what they lost? Their life. They lost their life because of sin. And you know what? That is not an Old Testament doctrine. 
That is not an Old Testament doctrine. 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul said, I work hard to make sure that I don't become a castaway. The Apostle Paul said, I do not want to get out of God's favor to where he tosses me aside. In Revelation 2, Jesus talks to the, the Ephesian church, a true church, and he said, folks, you've left your first love. Now you get back on track or I'm going to remove your candlestick. Seems to indicate that somehow God is just going to take his blessing away from that church completely and they're just going to become a, a social club or something. 1 John 5 talks about the sin unto death. He says, there is a sin unto death, and I'm telling you, you shouldn't pray about it. In other words, he says, God's going to take some people home, and you shouldn't pray for those people that God will hold back. Wow. 1 Corinthians 3 says, some people will be saved so as by fire. Their lives are going to have no reward, but they will make it to heaven. 1 Corinthians 5 talks about delivering a sinning Christian to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved. You know, we don't talk about this aspect of God's character very much because, you know, you, you think, boy, Dave, lighten up. You know what, folks? You know why I'm preaching this today? Because I love you too much not to. God is serious about godliness. And we need to be serious. These people in the Old Testament thought we could just talk to God any way we want. If he doesn't do what we like, uh! and God said, I've had enough. There are two kinds of judgment from God. One is the passive judgment, one is the active. What's the passive judgment of God? It's when God takes his hands off. You read Romans 1? People who, who rejected God's truth and kept rejecting it and kept rejecting it, you know what you read there is you read about three or four degrees of God letting go. It's like God gradually, like he, maybe he takes one hand off and then the other hand, then he steps back. And finally, do you know what those people are? They are completely on their own in the world. You know what's so terrible about that? It's because they're completely living in sin. Most Bible scholars believe that the reason God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden is so they couldn't eat from the tree of life and keep on living in sin forever. What a terrible condition to be in. Boy, I, I want to be delivered. And while I'm here, I want to live in, in righteousness as best I can because the righteousness of God brings the blessing of God and the sinful life brings just more sin. One author said this, the wilderness wanderings represent the experience of believers who will not claim their spiritual inheritance in Christ, who doubt God's word, who live in restless unbelief, to be sure, God is with them as he was with Israel, but they do not enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. They are out of Egypt, but they are not in Canaan. Canaan was God's place of blessing. He said, I'm going to take you to this wonderful place. And that's what he talked about them entering his rest. He's not talking about entering heaven. The promised land does not picture heaven. It pictures the blessed life. God said, I'm going to take you out of slavery, which pictures sin for us, and bring you through the wilderness and put you in the promised land. There's going to be vineyards you haven't grown. There's going to be houses you haven't built. I'm going to put you there, and you're going to have a wonderful life. Friends, God says to you, I want to take you out of sin, 
There's going to be some difficulty as I bring you through this process, and I want you to put you in the blessed Christian life. You can short-circuit the process by saying, I don't like these difficulties, and rejecting God's leading. The passive judgment of God is, is when he just lets go. The active judgment is what we read about here in Hebrews 3. When, you, know, you know what God said in, in Numbers, if you were paying attention, God said, Moses, stand back, let me kill them all, and I'll start again with you. And you know, he could have done that and still been keeping his promise to Abraham. Because God said, out of Abraham, this great nation is going to come. And Moses was one out of Abraham. And he could have killed them all and started over, and it would have been just fine. And Moses said, oh, God, don't do it. Don't do it. And so God pulled back a little bit, and he killed that whole responsible generation, those 20, of, 20 years of age and older. And the younger generation was able to go on. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does God want from us? He wants us to humble ourselves. That even when difficulty comes, instead of running away from him, we run to him and we say, oh God, please help. I can't do this without you. One of my favorite TV shows is the new Yankee Workshop with Norm Abrams. It's the one time every week when I just totally invest myself in envy. Norm Abrams has a power tool for everything. Big power tools. Man. I'm sure if I had all the tools he has, I could build all those beautiful projects just like him. Not. Every week at the beginning of, show, of the show, he, he, he gives a little opener, here's what we're going to build today, blah, 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 and shows us this beautiful finished product. You know, that's the way things look in my mind when I start building them. <laughs> they just don't get there. And he says, now before we start, let's take a little time to talk about shop safety. And I, I've almost got the spiel memorized, but not quite. And it goes something like, be sure to read and follow all the safety information that comes with your tools. And remember, there's not a more, piece, a more important piece of safety equipment than these safety glasses. You know, you, if you've watched it, you've heard him say that every week, the exact same words. And do you think I listen to him? No, because those things don't apply to me. <laughs> They're for stupid people. I was working on, on a shed that I built in Tuckwill, and I'm using my skill saw about this far away from my face, and I'm trimming this thing, and one little teeny piece of something went right in my eye, right around my safety glasses. I rinsed, and I blinked, and I rinsed, and I blinked, and finally I went to the doctor and spent a couple hundred bucks and had her take it out. Why do we always think that warning labels apply to everyone except us? Don't let your heart get hard. Heavenly Father, keep us tender. Keep us soft. Keep us trusting in you. I pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life. 
the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.